You are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Debbie Barnett. Debbie is a yoga teacher, astrologer, guide, and healer. We'll be right back with Debbie, but first let's talk about generosity. Generosity is on my mind for a couple of different reasons. My cousin is getting married this week, and I'm going to fly to Michigan and go to the wedding, and I do not enjoy gift giving very much. And I, I try to be a grateful gift receiver, but even that is it has a level of uncomfortableness for me. It is a, an act of generosity, but sometimes the obligatory part of it, like I went to Oaxaca and I bought gifts for everybody and I said, oh, come pick something out. And, you know, people stop by and I'm like, oh, what do you want? And they pick something out of the pile. That I find very spontaneous and lovely and in the spirit of something about Christmas, <laughs> birthdays. And weddings, I get a a discomfort, and I don't know what that is because I think I'm generally a generous person. I like to cook for people. I like to include them in things. But I was thinking about what to do because I'm doing a zero packaging project, so I can't buy anything in a package or a container. It's my cousin, and I want something more personal. So I finally decided to give them one of my birds. I make these bird mandalas. And I thought, that's a gift from the heart. You know, that's something that I made. It feels like how I feel about them getting married. It feels nice. It feels genuine. I think that's always the stumbling block for me is I have to get a gift. And it's not that I don't want to be generous and give someone a gift, but that something about the process of it makes me uncomfortable. And I don't want it to feel like I got a gift because I had to get a gift and I went on a list and I picked something out. So I also was thinking about generosity and depression. So I found an article in Psychology Today from May 8th, 2018. So it's a recent one. And I do have a friend at Pima who teaches happiness studies for psychology. They started studying what makes us happy, not just what makes us miserable. (laughs) And generosity is one of those things. So the article is called Generosity Pays Dividends in Happiness. Study shows even slightly generous people are happier than self-centered people. Would you be surprised to learn that people who are generous are happier than those who aren't? Well, according to researchers at the University of Zurich, generosity appears to connect to living a happier life. Here's how the research went. 50 volunteers were divided into two groups and were told that they would be given a modest amount of money. One group was told to spend the money on themselves and the other group was asked to give a gift of some money to someone they knew. As each person in both groups were deciding how to spend the money, the researchers measured the brain activity of the person in three areas of the brain, one area where pro-social behavior and generosity are processed, another area in the ventral striatum, which is related to happiness, and in the orbital frontal cortex, where cost benefits are evaluated in the decision-making process. After the measurements were made, the subjects were asked to rate their happiness before and after the experiment. The results showed that those people who were generous in their gift-giving reported being happier than before the experiment began. Also, they reported greater happiness than the control group who intended to spend the money on themselves. 
As reported in Science News, the lead researcher, Philip Tobler, said, you don't need to become a self-sacrificing martyr to feel happier. Just being a little more generous will suffice. In, in the spirit of all this, the other reason that I decided to have this as my topic this week, it's something that I'm thinking about personally because I'm being very generous to myself right now. I have given myself an entire month, which ends today, to not do anything that feels like an obligation. Just do what I want to do. And it's been very lovely and feels very self-indulgent. But I also was thinking our station is actually asking for donations this week. And I thought... For all of you who enjoy the show, I hope you would think about going to our website and making a contribution. So I hope you all have a generous week. And I will end with a quote from Rumi. The ground's generosity takes in our compost and grows beauty. Try to be more like the ground. Today we have with us in the studio Debbie Barnett. Debbie is a yoga teacher, astrologer, guide, and healer. Hello, Debbie. Welcome to the Depression Session. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your generosity. Thank you. (laughs) And I just wanted to ask you, so what's going on in your life? What do you want to share with our audience? Well, I'm about to go to Michigan, too. Woohoo! Yes. Next week, I'm going to go help a friend get her business prepared for harvest that's coming up. And then I'm going back in October to spend most of October in Michigan. So I get to experience the fall colors, which will be lovely. I'll be there till the 22nd, but I don't think it'll be quite fall yet. I'm going, I'm I'm speaking to generosity, I'm going to go help my mom pack up her house to move here. Oh, okay. (laughs) Moving. Is she driving here? She is with my brother, so we're splitting duties. I'm helping pack up the house for sale, Mm -hmm. and he's helping drive her here. Oh, wow. That's a long trip. (laughs) That's a long drive. I think he might be the more generous one in this case. Right. (laughs) We'll see when I get there. Right. So, you know, what what are some things that you're working on right now? I've been teaching a lot of yoga here lately. I've got some classes on the east side, and then I sub at Tucson Yoga uh, downtown, and I just came from there. I'm doing a series right now on yoga sutras and a flow class. So we do call and response, chanting a little bit of the sutras, and then we talk about that philosophy and incorporate it into our hatha yoga practice. And can you tell them what sutras are? The sutras are the, um, it's sort of the backbone of yoga philosophy. And they're about, we don't really know how old. They were written down 300 BCE, but they were an oral tradition before that, passed on from guru to student and not written down until fairly recently, you know, 2,000 years ago or so. But uh, they've been around for a long time. And sutra is uh, like a thread. Like if you get stitches, you get a suture. And so the sutras are pithy little aphorisms that need a teacher to unravel the thread of meaning with them, within them. And then so the whole uh, of the yoga sutras, there's 195 of them, makes sort of a tapestry. And it's sort of a guideline for life. Like it was the mm-hmm. first positive psychology textbook was the Yoga Sutras. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love I love the idea that, it, and it only happened in the 90s in psychology, modern mm-hmm. psychology in, in the U.S., that somebody considered that we should look at what makes us happy, not mm-hmm. just what makes us miserable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have a book called Happiness about a, I believe he was a psychologist that wrote about why are we studying disease and disorders? Why don't we study what we want to be instead of what we're trying to move away from? Ease and order instead of disease disease and disorder. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm always trying to find some ease and order, actually. Mm -hmm. 
Several years ago, I wrote a book called The Deeper the Roots, The Juicier the Fruits, Eight Spiritual Practices for a Juicy Life. And it's a small four by six, and it's colored, it's in color. And I did the illustrations with a technique called pointillism mm. or stipple. So I did color markers, colored markers, and it's all dots. And I would have an idea of what the picture would be when I sat down. But by the time I was finished, it was a different picture. And so I feel like it was channeled. But these are eight practices that I do to help me stay grounded, to help me stay centered and clear and on my path. And other people have told me that it's a valuable resource for them, that when they're feeling a little bit down, they'll just open up my book randomly. And because it's so brightly colored and it's got these cute pictures, they're like, oh, I feel better already just looking at Debbie's book. And when I was doing it, I'd say, do the dots. I was doing mantra at the same time. So the book is infused with these ancient mantras that help people feel better. Cool. Yeah. Where can someone find it? If to... uh, on my website. So I have two websites. You can find the book on theyogawoman.com. And then I have another website for my astrology and human design readings. And that's astroyogawoman.com. Awesome. Thank you. So Debbie, tell us the story of your depression. Well, you know what's funny? When I was here the other day for your brunch, and you mentioned that you had a radio show, and I said, oh, I'll be on your radio show, not knowing what the topic was. <laughs> and then you said, oh, great, it's the depression sessions. I'm like, oh, okay, I can speak to that. I am not one who uh, would have what I would call classical depression, like where I can't get out of bed or like I'm really sad or thoughts of taking my life or anything like that. I think a lot of us go through ups and downs in life, and certainly I'm no stranger to that, uh, but generally pretty happy, pretty upbeat person. I think my depression shows up differently than most, and it's more like I don't have energy to do things. I self-isolate. I don't initiate things with friends. Um, I don't take initiative. I'm self-employed, so you know I have to post to social media and do the song and dance to get people to know who I am. And I just don't sometimes have the energy for it. But what I've learned is when I don't feel like eating or I don't feel like taking care of myself and then I get so hungry that I just have to eat whatever, whether it's fast food or just something. And like, I'm not taking the time to nurture myself. And so that, and then not having initiative are sort of my clues that I'm in sort of a low spot. I had an experience on October 19th of 2016. This was in Irvine, California. I'd lived in California for 13 years. I grew up in Wisconsin and Texas and then moved to Southern California. And I'd been having some blow-ups with coworkers and some being triggered and some different experiences. And I wondered if I had PTSD from my childhood. My dad was a functioning alcoholic and my mom was bipolar. And so I had quite the chaotic <laughs> childhood. And I've since found out I'm what's called HSP, a highly sensitive person. I mean, I'd always known that, but I didn't know there was a term to it and that it was a thing. So now I have this other label I can attach to myself as HSP. And so being a sensitive person and being very much an empath, growing up in that chaotic household was very traumatic for me. You know, there was abandonment issues and neglect and emotional abuse. And so I made this appointment on October 19th to go see a psychiatrist. I'd been to therapy before, 
talk therapy, but not a psychiatrist. And those 15 minutes in her office scared the living daylights out of me. She determined that, yes, I did have PTSD, but that I also was depressed. And I said right from the start, I didn't want to be medicated. You know, I love that that helps some people. Like my mom, for instance, when her meds were off, life was not fun for anybody. So I'm not against pharmaceuticals, but I prefer not to take them myself if I can help it. And this woman proceeded to tell me that I have a chemical imbalance and I needed to be on medication. She was saying that having these mood swings was not quote unquote normal. And I disagreed. I said that everybody has mood swings. Everybody has ups and downs. I'm into this system called the human design system, which is a synthesis of astrology, Kabbalah, chakras, I Ching, and quantum physics. And in this system, we all have our unique authority, which would be one of the chakras. For me, it's the emotional solar plexus center. 50% of the population has this authority. If they have it defined, it is automatically their authority. And so that's half the people have it defined, half don't. And what that means is that we have these waves of emotion. So we're not to make decisions when we're on the high of the emotion or the low of the emotion, but to wait for clarity in the middle. And so when she was saying that I needed to be medicated so I could take away these moods, I thought, well, but you would be taking away me. You know, that's who I am. And that, those 15 minutes I spent with this lady scared the life out of me. I was just sure that if I spoke out against her, she was going to put me on a 5150 hold or who knows what they would do because I wasn't playing along with the program. I wasn't being medicated. I wasn't taking her advice. And so she felt disappointed that she couldn't help me and referred me, well, I guess you'll have to do talk therapy like it was a second-class citizen type suggestion. I thought, too, was that the reason why we have the opioid crisis that we do is because so many doctors are so quick to write a prescription. When she said that I had a chemical imbalance after not having taken a blood test, not taking any kind of physical test at all, just talking to me for a few minutes, and then telling me I have a chemical imbalance, I need to be medicated. I'm like, I don't think so. I think there's other options. And I'm not against medication. My mom was on medication for her bipolar. There are times when that's necessary. But to just knee-jerk reaction, put everybody on some sort of psych meds, just didn't sit well with me. So I, I left there and I went home and did an astrology chart for that time of my diagnosis, being the astrologer that I am. And something interesting showed up in it. I was having what's called a lunar return. So the moon had come back to its natal position, which mine is Gemini, of moon in Gemini. So the moon was at maybe two degrees off of my natal moon. And the transit that was happening was Saturn opposing. So Saturn is like the parent or the government or the authority, sort of like a wet blanket and opposing the moon, which would be emotions. So I was able to see that a lot of these outbursts that I'd been having and these things where I was being triggered from my childhood, like unresolved trauma and not being heard, not being seen, not being recognized, were all coming out here in my adult life. Things that I thought I had taken care of and overcome, I had not. <laughs> and here they were. 
So I thought, let me see if I have PTSD, which I did, but I was surprised at the depression diagnosis. And I kind of like, I don't have depression. I'm not, because I grew up with it. And it looked totally different than what my version would be. So one of the things that I wanted to share with your audience is that not everybody's symptoms show up as the same thing, right? I've never felt like taking my life or being so depressed I can't get out of bed. It's just lacking motivation or lacking drive, lacking initiative, being more self-isolating and not being as outgoing as I might normally be. And so being able to take care of ourselves without medication, if possible, and if needed, that's okay too, you know, without the judgment of it, without the stigma. Having grown up in this household that was so chaotic, like my dad was a drinker, both my grandmothers drank, and it makes me think that they were depressed, and alcohol is a depressant. And so it would, it would sort of set the stage for my childhood to have sort of this sadness or this underlying anger or this not being able to move forward. And when I got out of the, the psychiatrist's office and I'd done the chart and I you know, sat with it for a while and meditated with it, I realized that she was probably right, that I was depressed. And it was because I was so ready to not be in California anymore. I'd gone to a psychic in early January of 2016, and he said, it's time to leave California. Where would you go? And I said, I don't know, Seattle, Portland, because I'd been in Seattle before I moved to California, and it's beautiful. But I was just there for the summer, and it didn't rain, right? And I said, Seattle, Portland, and he said, no, no, it's too cold and rainy. You need desert southwest. And he started naming these cities and towns. He said, Sedona, Tucson, Denver, Albuquerque, Taos, Santa Fe. I was born in New Mexico, so all these resonate with me. But when he said Tucson, I said, oh, that's it. Because I drove through here to see my family in Texas back in 2009, 2010, and I loved it. And I said, I could see myself living here, nice little university town, mountains, biking. I, was, I practiced at Tucson Yoga, and now I'm teaching there, which is sort of a roundabout cycle. But he said, you, you're not to move till after September, after the Saturn-Neptune square finishes. But in between January and September, figure out which city and look at your astrocartography, which I did. And it's my Jupiter line, so it's supposed to be very beneficial and luck, as opposed to California's Uranus. So a lot of my insomnia, a lot of my erraticness and relationships not really gelling, in part was due to living on the Uranus line. And then we have this Saturn opposition to my moon. And, you know, I was getting burned out of teaching yoga. I'd been teaching yoga about five years at that point. And I love yoga, but it became a grind. And I was ready to go. And this was October. So this was 10 months. And it was kind of like going to a party. And you're with, you rode with somebody. And you're ready to leave, but your friend isn't. And you're like, I'm done. This party is over for me. I'm ready to go home. Can I just go home? But I had to wait, and I didn't move until December 9th, 2016. Um, so there was like almost a whole year of feeling stuck and feeling like I can't move forward, and I was renting a room in a condo, so I had somebody living above me, and it just felt very heavy. It was that Saturn on my moon. And like I mentioned earlier, mine shows up as I don't want to feed myself. I don't want to nurture myself. I don't want to do anything except surf the Internet and just be a slug. Right. You know, so it wasn't anything major like, oh, I'm so down or anything. But it's just this feeling of no energy, 
and not wanting to do much except not be in the situation that I am, that I was in. So really it's just a form of non-acceptance and resistance to what is. Like I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle in my classes and we talk about, you know, psychological time and the egoic mind and accepting what is or not. And so I learned to accept that when it was time for me to move, that I would move. Everything in its own time. There's a rose bush that was outside of our condo. And every day I'd pass by and I'd say, when it's time for me to move, it's just like when it's time for that rosebud to bloom and not a moment before. Be nice to yourself. Have compassion. Practice generosity. You know, one of my favorite classes to teach was to kids in jail. I taught yoga to teenage gang member, boy, male gang members in juvenile detention. And I didn't get paid for that class, but I got so much out of it because I was being generous. And so what I recommend for people that are suffering from depression is to give, whether it's your time or your advice, if you can give money, great, but give of yourself that altruism helps you overcome whatever difficulties or challenges that you're facing, you can take yourself out of yourself and put yourself in someone else's shoes. And something else is that when I know of friends that are feeling depressed, I reach out to them because I tend to not reach out in general, but I make a special effort to call them, to invite them to things, to see if they want how they're doing, check on them, because we need that connection. We need the social support. We need each other to hold each other's hands while we're going through these dark nights of the soul. Because part of it too, I think, is we're told that the external is our reward. Like how much money you have, how many belongings you have, what kind of car you drive, what kind of how, you know, all this, what what does your body look like? And none of that is who we are, right? It's not our spirit. It's not coming with us when we go. And so we can take ourselves out of that rat race mentality of trying to buy, 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 buy. And like a lot of people, it's that whole shop to you drop. And that's their therapy is to acquire more things. And so I applaud you with your zero packaging <laughs> policy that you're working on to, uh, to not put yourself into the external and bring yourself more inwardly. Thanks so much for your story. That was great. You're welcome. I wanted to mention a couple of things, and there are a bunch of things, actually. But one thing really resonated with me, you said a couple of times, which is depression doesn't always show up the way people think it will. Right. And that's been a very um, present thing for me. I never thought I had depression because I don't get sad. The problem is, is I don't feel anything. Right. And that's my depression. And that can result in a lack of self-care. It can result in not getting out of bed. It can result in feeling like I don't want to connect with anybody or anything. But that's actually a very standard depression experience. Mm -hmm. But I think that the myth of depression in our culture is that you'll feel deeply sad. And you hear a lot of things on the news about people with suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. But that's not the only way of suffering. So I, I, I really wanted to pull that out just because I felt that's really relevant for mm-hmm. people. Well, like when you said my topic is depression session, like, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm like, but it does. Mm-hmm. It does. It's just not in the forefront of my mind, but it's there. And I can feel it come lightly, like very softly. But even that little bit of depression that I've experienced gives me so much empathy mm-hmm. for those who really suffer, for those who are in that dark spot. Just that little bit that I've been in, I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I want it to be different. 
right? And yet we have to go through. The only way out is through. Yeah. So that little taste really gives me compassion for people who suffer from depression yeah. and darkness. And then the, the hedonistic treadmill, as mm-hmm. we like to call it, of consumerism as a way out is a very flat way out of any kind of suffering and struggle. And you know, in happiness study, is it is not a way to get any kind of long-term happiness. Right. So I was really glad that you brought mm-hmm. that up. I think in our culture, it's reinforced because people want to sell products. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of the American way in some right. ways. Just get a new one. <laughs> well, even with 9-11, today's the 17th anniversary of 9-11. And what did President Bush say? Go out and shop. Yeah right? Go out and consume, shore up the economy. <laughs> That's not the ticket out. Yeah. And to me, that looks like a pyramid scheme with right. nothing at the bottom, whether it's a person trying to fulfill themselves with stuff or a whole nation. It's, it's a pyramid scheme built on nothing. There's, mm-hmm. if, if all we're doing to support our economy is buying, there has to be somebody making something. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't here, we're not sustaining ourselves. Right. Another thing was, I cannot believe the psychiatrist you went to. <laughs> yeah, scared me. Seriously. I was shaking when I left there. I'm like, this is very disturbing to me. Yes. <laughs> and if this is how it's done, mm-hmm. and I hope it's not. I hope that was a bad experience with a bad practitioner, but it, that might not be the case. Mm. Right. The fact that you know, an authority figure puts you in a position of being, and maybe that wasn't her intention, but like thinking, wow, this person could actually get me locked up. Right. <laughs> and I'm one who speaks up. And I thought, I need to keep my mouth shut because I'm already scared. <laughs> and this woman, woman, who knows what she can do to me. Some and I need to get out of here. Yes. <laughs> Although at the same time, I've kind of taken depression as something that's part of me that's not a negative. Mm -hmm. And to befriend it in the moments that it's there and ask it what it's there for. It's a teacher. Mm -hmm. And what's the lesson? You know, and our society tries to medicate it away instead of like being a great artist a lot of times have these depressions and like the dark night of the soul. I remember in junior high and high school and having some puppy love, you know, go awry, you know, that song. And they call it puppy love. Was it Donny Osmond? Or <laughs> yes. something? And I, I would write my best poetry when I was heartbroken. Yes. And I was happy. I couldn't write a poem to save my life. But this beautiful poetry would come out because of my sadness, because of my despair, my heartbreak. Yeah. You know, so beauty can come from it. You know, we just need to be able to honor ourselves and have gracious um, generosity toward ourselves, that these things happen, and there's nothing wrong with it, and that this too shall pass, because the nature of our universe has changed. And that is a perfect note to end the show on. Thanks so much for being on the Depression Session. Thanks, Laura. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. 
To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.